Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. Are you ready now? Oh, I'm sure this is math. Tom. <laughs> Robert. Yeah. Well, all right, fellas. Well, let's go. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? So here's the deal. You know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. Just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. Tesla. You don't even have Tesla. Yep. I remember that. You've got a Model I've X. seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. So we uh, begin. No, Shall no we? Reason, uh, no reason yeah. here. I wanted to start with one thing, guys. You ready? Go. Boo. Oh, because happy Halloween. Halloweeny. Do other countries do Halloween? Yeah. We're having this discussion. In Australia, they don't really do Halloween, although American culture does pervade the rest of the world. It's starting to become a thing. But yeah. I wonder if for our international subscribers, do you do Halloween or is it just an American silliness? It's a bit of fun, a bit of good times, a bit of candy, a bit of dressing up. Yeah. Fall equinox. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Harvest. It comes the day before All Saints Day, which is a thing in lots of Catholic countries, right? Of course, in uh, Mexico, they do uh, Los Dias a de las version, yes. but it's not at this time of the year, right? Mm. Or am I making a fool no, of it myself? it is around here, yeah. It, it is, is about yeah, this no, time of the it's year. It's coming up. Oh. Yeah. You, live and, in, you live in Los Angeles. We have a big Dio de las Muertas celebration. So it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that Los Dias de las Muertas used to be a summer celebration in Mexico. But when the Spanish came and brought their Catholicism, it's sort of moved up now and is around All Saints Day in uh, late October, early November. Isn't that fascinating? No, not that much. OK, we'll continue. Uh, by the way. Talking Tesla 58. I mean, I'm, there's a bit of a letdown after all the excitement of the last few weeks. You can feel it in our voices. Tom's not in the room. He's in Chicago. He's hanging out in the shirt and the cargoes. Is it cold there, Thomas? Is it freezing? Is there global cooling? It is not freezing. It was about 50 yesterday. Mm. And uh, I'll, I'll date this episode a little bit. Yesterday was Game 5 of the World Series. That's not why I'm here. But the Cubs live to fight another day. It would be cool if the Cubbies came back. I could care less, frankly, but it would still be a good story, even though I could care how much. You could not care less, I think is what you want to say. You could not care no, less. No, I could care less, but it would be very difficult for me to care less. <laughs> would, that, would that be like a, a molecule? Yeah, it would be something of the, a nanospherical piece of poo that I could care less, but I get it. You know, uh, there's the, the curse of the, the babe or something. Or uh, something? I don't know. Yeah, they're losers, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like wow, 34 so, years or something. It's 70 it's something. 70 years since Maybe they've been in it. That's... And 107 since they won it. Wow. 107 since they won it? What pathetic losers. <laughs> Name that movie. Um, <sighs> Before the Flood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is a little movie by Leonardo DiCaprio and Friends. It got released yesterday here in the United States on YouTube for free before it goes into... I don't know if it's going to go on theaters or if it's just going to be on TV. Yeah, it was in theaters a week ago. I was going to try and make an effort ah. to go see it, but uh, work prevented that. Instead, I spent time with family. Well, that's uh, 
That's sad. Well, I uh, ripped a copy. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. Um, there's <laughs> there's wow. uh, really nothing new in this uh, movie. It is absolutely frightening. It makes me angry. It's just all about global warming and global denying, and we're on this tipping point, and if we don't fix it really, really soon, we're going to turn into Venus, something that we discuss here on the show every month, and the Koch brothers and Big Petroleum are evildoers. Yeah, I was really kind of shamed. I I feel kind of good about myself. I feel somewhat green. I drive an electric car. I charge it off solar panels. I dry my clothes when it's not raining. It's actually raining in L.A., but that's another topic. Wow. And so I dry my clothes on a clothesline. I really really do my best to cut down on carbon. But then there was this lady from India who was basically dressing down Leonardo DiCaprio. And she says, you don't understand. You people in America have to set an example for the rest of us. And if you can do it, then we can get our governments to move in the right direction and devote more resources to renewable energy and conservation. And he's, you know, he's sitting back thinking about like the first third of the movie, which I watched. And, and of course, here they've got, you know, idiots in Congress holding snowballs saying there's no global warming. Oh, my God. And so she basically shames him and says, for every person in the United States, that the amount of energy each one of us uses is like one and a half people in France and 2.2 people in Japan or the UK, uh, five in South Africa, 10 people in China could live off the energy one of us use. And in India, 34. That's I'm shame. I feel shamed. I thought that was actually a good part of the movie because it is true. If you go overseas, to say America does it holds some weight. I know in Australia, like if you can say, well, the US does X, then people listen. So uh, we need to get our shit together and I could see, stop burning everything. I could see Leonardo being a little bit uncomfortable in that scene because, of course, she's talking about the size of your house and he's got a 30, I don't know how many thousand square foot house and you know small is where it's at he um he does set the beginning because he gets criticized a lot obviously by the uh, people who don't like global warming and say this guy is the most ridiculous he has a private jet he has a giant house and he's going around telling us we should you know save the planet he did sort of address that at the beginning but he should have doubled down he's like i've got probably a little bit bigger carbon footprint than most people he should have said I have a ridiculous carbon footprint, and here's the things I'm doing to fix it. And here's the carbon offsets that I'm doing. And here's the forest I own. And I'm sorry that I'm ridiculously wealthy and I'm part of the problem, but uh, I also would like to be part of the solution. Something like that, but it was just sort of a, I've got a big carbon footprint. No, you've got a gigantic carbon footprint. Yeah, massive. Tom, did you watch it? Flying around. No, I did not watch it, but I am listening to you gentlemen, and it is true. I mean, we definitely have to lead the charge on this and we're not doing a very good job. We just aren't. We, we have so much packaging. We have so much transportation. I am the problem. So uh, it was very sobering, but at least at the end they do the hopeful part, which is like, we can do this. We have the technology. We didn't have the technology 20 years ago. We can do this. Let's get busy. And so that's part of what this show is about, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. So last Friday we did the solar roof. Tom couldn't be with us, but we did the live show. And uh, Elon revealed the uh, beautiful solar roofs and a few quick things. So Powerwall 2.0 is coming out, 14 kilowatt hour battery for $5,500 installed. Somebody says here about a thousand bucks. Yeah, they say approximately a thousand dollars, five hundred dollars down. So that is twice as big as the the one 1.0, which 1.0 isn't even that old. 
now it's actually getting to a size where it starts to become reasonably useful. I think um, for a lot of houses here in the States, which use about, I was always told it was 10 kilowatt hours per day on average, but that's a tiny little house. It's probably closer to 30. So you get two of these and you could potentially run your house all day and perpetually you charge up during the day and then um, use solar during the day and charge it during the day kind of thing and use your battery at night if you've got a big enough solar array. So that's kind of exciting. You can put these in series up to nine of them so you can get a really big one. They came out with PowerPack 2.0 just before this announcement, which has over 210 kilowatt hours and about the same uh, size that PowerPack 1.0. But And then he showed the solar roofs, which were absolutely stunning. These were beautiful glass etched. You can make them look like a Tuscan roof. You can make them look like a French slate roof. You can make them look like all kinds of things. Absolutely beautiful. But I thought it was really lacking in the fine details, like how much exactly is this going to be? How efficient are they going to be? Are they going to be micro-inverters? Um, at what point uh, do I call you to put one on when I'm about to put a roof on? What's going to be the wait time? So there's a whole bunch of questions I have about this, but I did put $500 down to get Ooh. a power pack. Oh. Power wall. Power wall, not a power pack, power wall. We're going to hang it up here in the studio. I have a question about the power wall. Maybe you could, you gentlemen can answer. Yes. How many power wall 1.0s did they actually make and deliver? Does anybody, did that, was that anything? About 15, the 15 that were in that room when we were there for the <laughs> yeah. reveal. You definitely do so, get the sense that they came out with 1.0 and go, yeah, let's just sort of uh, yeah. not build too many of these because I, the saw next the, one is I saw them at the Gigafactory. They had them and they also had the power packs, lots of them, lots of crates. I don't know. I actually have a picture somewhere on my phone of, of hundreds, I think, of power walls. Yeah, but I don't know if they sell too many, but I think they're going to sell some now. I think this yeah, is the sweet spot. To an interesting – yeah, I don't – again, is it the sweet spot? Price-wise, per kilowatt hour, it still doesn't make sense. I don't know if you did the math on this particular version of it, but the payback time at you know $5,500 is probably still massive at for most people who are, are on grid and buying – kilowatt hours uh yeah, via if, coal or natural gas if you're doing it uh again if you're doing it just to save money buying cheap electricity storing it then using it at the expensive time that kind of saving it's still not cost effective um but if you're just looking for getting enough energy to basically be camp to be off grid or potentially off grid with a good set of solar panels this gets closer and is not really expensive yeah, I don't. I just still. I I feel like it's interesting. I feel like it's just not a product if it's not if it doesn't make financial sense for most people. I don't think most people. Again, obviously, most people aren't trying to get off grid. Most people, at least myself, I don't have a big enough solar array to take care of my needs and have extra. Anyways, you know, I know you do, uh, but I just don't. Well, I think it's you know, at part the end of, of the day, these things have to make financial sense for people, right? Yeah, but I think that's part of the again the lacking of the details. Like, I need a new roof. I was going to spend twenty thousand dollars on a new roof. How about I spend twenty thousand dollars on a solar roof plus a Tesla or batteries and have a payback time which is five or ten years and a roof that lasts for thirty years and is completely clean and makes me feel good inside. So I guess I should say for completeness, uh, this payback period stuff. So when Powerwall first came out, one of the ways Elon and the boys and girls said that you could use it is that you could cycle it daily and buy cheap electricity in the middle of the night and then use that cheap electricity for yourself in the evening when it's often much more expensive to buy from the grid. 
And so if you did that and there was a big differential between those two, it's really expensive at peak periods and really cheap in the middle of the night, you could use your battery in that way, charging that with cheap electrons and using it when it's expensive, you could get a payback period, which might be five or six years. And so some people are in that situation. But unless there is a big differential between those two, like 30 or 40 cents, the payback period becomes 10, 15, 20 years. But if you are in one of those places with a big differential and it's over, say, 30 cents, you can get a payoff, if that's all you're looking at, a payoff that's not too bad, like five years. But a lot of people want to put these in for backup and they want to put them up for uh, environmental reasons. So it's not just money, but we were sort of focusing mostly on the economics. Just will this save me money by buying cheap electricity and shoving it in there and using it later? I was going to say that I think this is a play, number one, for those states that don't have net metering. If you don't have net metering, like in Hawaii, uh, actually, I don't know if they have net metering in Hawaii. I do know, though, that people pay like as much as 50 cents per kilowatt hour in Hawaii. So yes, run the math there. You've got a market. You can probably sell a lot of power walls in Hawaii, maybe Arizona, and other countries where people, you know, they want to have electricity that's reliable in their home. They want to get off the grid. Those are the places where this works. It just extends solar city's reach so that they'll be able to put on roofs and they'll be able to maybe even put in Tesla cars. So this is just another sort of a bridge to get us to the point where we can have a lot more solar energy in the, in the, uh, in the works. So uh, it looked beautiful, um, but the you know what stole the show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? If you didn't watch it, if you didn't catch it, you can watch it on our uh, channel on Talking Tesla YouTube. You can catch it because we have a little chat, and then we show the whole thing, and then we chat some more. So you can watch it there. The thing that stole the show, of course, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, was what? The Model 3 the Model pictures. 3. So you watch everybody's looking at the solar panels, and then they... They bring out a Model 3 out of the garage and everybody goes, whoop, including <laughs> us. Like, hey, that's a Model 3 prototype. Look at that. And i got to say, it looks very sweet. They did this at Universal Studios and they did it in where they shot uh, uh, Desperate, Housewives Desperate Housewives and all those 50s shows. And initially we were really confused, like, where is this in Universal Studios? And it was the fake houses and they put on the solar and then they brought out the cars. But it was pretty cool, actually. I thought it was... It made me feel good inside. Maybe there is a utopian future. A testopian future. A testopian future. But again, I say it all works together. <laughs> if this all works, if the cars work, if the Model 3 works, if they get the prices down, if the Gigafactory drops the batteries, if uh, the Tesla Powerwalls 3.0, 4.0 drop in price, if this solar roof really works, if, 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 then um, this could take a this could be a massive company which is uh, sort of forward thinking and leading and then you'll watch as with the car everybody starts to follow. And, and the last play I think on this is as we move forward in the next two years, four years, six years, and the utilities uh, are at the point where they are actually having a problem. They say they're having a problem. I don't believe it at this point, but they're actually having a problem dealing with the swings in the energy from all the solar roofs that people will now be putting on because it's going to be as cheap as just buying a plain old roof. Uh, so now the solar energy can be still captured and used without having to mess with the grid. I think this just moves us forward. And and probably that's the, the long-term play is that this just makes solar energy that much more uh, useful and usable. And uh, it just makes the system work better. Yeah. And the other thing that I found really interesting, one of the stats is, uh, was it on this show? I can't remember where it was, but um, that the world is going to need 
three times as much energy as it has now. If we move right. completely to an electrified sort of transport, heating, cooling system, the world needs three times as much energy. Electric- so when, electrical electricity. Energy. Electricity. So elec- when elec- elec- electric energy. <laughs> and so when these power companies say, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. You're all going to buy your stuff and you're not going to buy it from us. He notes that you need about one-third on your roof, one-third, one-third sort of um, – local distribution, two-thirds by big power companies. And so these power companies have a lot of growth potential. So grow it with renewables is what he's saying. Got to do this. There is no choice. This is extremely difficult. There's lots of technical hurdles. We should not go from this is not a problem to this is such a big problem we can't even fix it. We got to fix it. It has to be done. Are you saying our back is up against the solar wall? Uh, Exactly. And we have such a short period of time to fix this. Power wall. We can do it. Si se puede. The upside-down ice cream cone of solar. <laughs> now, I found this really interesting article, and so what, did Cece. How the hell did you find this thing? It just it's sort like of popped up on my feed. <laughs> and so there's these upside-down ice cream cones, and they're solar panels, and <laughs> they spin, and they cool, and because of some weird effects that you get all of this extra solar panel, and they say they're 20 times more efficient than a solar panel, flat solar panel, which, of course, makes no sense. And I'm reading this thing. I'm like, as I'm reading it, like, first of all, these look cool. Second of all, could this possibly be true? And then no. I started reading the comments and every uh, engineer was like, this is absolute horseshit. And yeah. it actually comes from a story from three years ago where it was debunked as horseshit. And somehow it's bubbled back up to uh, the top of the Google feed if you're interested in renewables. And so these same people are saying this was BS three years ago. It is still BS today. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's no shortage of sites if you type in this spinning ice cream cone solar that, you know, really mathematically destroy this technology. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't understand uh, how this keeps bubbling up. I, I think it was, for me, it was, somebody said here, you know, what is the moral of the story? And for me, it's like, the internet is often unfiltered. Be careful what you read <laughs> <No>. and believe. <laughs> yeah. Keep, in, keep your investment dollars close to your vest. And don't jump on any crap like this. In fact, I looked at the picture and I thought it was something that I had seen in a Star Trek episode back in 1973. It probably is. Yeah, it kind of looked like that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, Model 3 News. This Uh, is a great story. I like this. Yeah, so Paul Carter is this uh, dude who's amassing information from uh, reservation holders for Model 3. And he's got over 6,000 people now. I checked it out a couple of days ago. So you've got a Model 3 reservation. Well, we presume you have a Model 3 reservation because you don't actually have to have one. And then you, um, you go in and you put in your data. And you, he captures stuff like, well, what kind of battery size would you want and all this stuff. So here's just some of the things I found interesting. He said that about 30% of the people are going to get uh, the base, you know, probably a 60-kilowatt-hour battery. About 60%, though, want the biggest battery they can possibly get. 78% will add supercharging for an upfront free, we presume, of a couple of grand. 50% want... To, to get premium upgrades and this was stunning to me only about 60 percent want autopilot and only about 20 percent want full autonomy i'm like what are you thinking people we that, all want full autonomy that's that's why the whole story hasn't really picked up we were talking about that what to last whatever talking tesla 57 why is everybody so sedate about this level five full autonomy i guess because the, the cyberdyne effect Cyberdyne. I guess people are afraid of it, but you'd think that the Tesla wanting people would be 
all in because they're super geeks and maybe it's just that the super geeks are the X and the S owners right now who are first adopters who are idiots that'll let a car drive them around before it's fully tested. That's me. Yeah. Or maybe these are people uh, who were like me 10 years ago and didn't have the money to blow a, a two grand here for a supercharging and three grand here for this and a sound system and everything like that. And in the end, you know, when they look at the total of the price of what this car is going to be, $66,000 before any credits, that's like a, that's almost a Model S. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a stripped down Model S, but here's, right. a, here's a couple of questions, right? So I actually signed up for this uh, Model 3 tracker thing and put in the info that I thought I would want mm-hmm. on on my on my Model Three because I was kind of curious where I fell into the into the realm of this thing and I wanted more data so I so I signed up for it and my you know and I and again I, I went through it and you know people are saying that it's thirty five thousand dollars base model and if you added all of the upgrades that most of the people are saying that they want not all of them some of them are are beyond the pale I added autonomy and I added enhanced autopilot. You get thirty one thousand in upgrades, so it does make the car very, very expensive, around mm-hmm. sixty six thousand dollars. And I was thinking to myself, "Holy crap, what do I have to take off of this thing?" But I have a question: Is it going? Is the base model going to be sixty kilowatt hours? Because I don't necessarily think it needs to be if it's smaller. Is it? But then, is it not lighter because it's going to steel? So really, what is the? And they haven't really talked about. What if it's going to be a 40, right? Because the Bolt, I believe, is only a 40 kilowatt hour battery. Yeah, I think it's a 60. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe a 50 out of something. But I think yeah. it has to be a 60 to yeah. get around that 215 okay. miles. So if it's a 60, that means the battery upgrade makes it a 75. So that right now on the Tesla website, the battery upgrade alone is 85. And a lot of people, 60%, said they want the biggest battery. So that's like 10. That's the basically the federal tax credit gone just with the bigger battery right so i don't know but this I don't is know all what presumptive we don't away. know what these costs are going to be because he said oh. that the the base model 3 is going to be well stocked it's going to have lots of good stuff um so we're all doing this and other people in our letters are doing the same thing and we're making these assumptions about what these upgrades are going to cost on model 3 and if they are as expensive as you say yeah this is fully loaded is an expensive car I love the concept of this, and I love the detail and the hard work that's gone into this, but the reality is there's not going to be all this upgrade on the Model 3. They're Why trying to streamline that? They're trying to streamline production. They but don't want to have not- – well, but they don't want to have a ton of versions. So there's going to be like one sound system, like it or lump it. There's not going to be all of this uh, – this smart air suspension. They're going to have some version of a smart air suspension in there that you're not going to be able to hook it up so that when you get near your house, the car is going to rise or lower. It's just going to be like it's going to hunker down on the highway to get better uh, range and and mileage, and it's going to be regular on the street. And, and I don't think they're going to add all of these bits and pieces because they've got to pump out – 500,000 of these things in one year. They've got to move. They said the assembly line right now is like a slow walk. He wants it like a run. He wants this thing rolling. And so to be popping in new things and adding this and changing this, I think this car is going to be a lot more generic. Well, I think they, the way that you get around that is that you have the sort of the base price he sells says well-stocked, and that's got most of the stuff in it. 
um, that you want. Then you have your super special Model 3 package, which basically is everything, and then you can software upgrade. So I want this, this, and this, but it's actually built with most of the stuff in there. They would have to find out at what point the does that make uh, sense. But I agree, they can't do 27,000 different versions of this, but they might have, say, two versions, and then you can software upgrade from there. Um, that would make sense, that they put a 75-kilowatt battery in, um, our battery in the car, and they put the air suspension and all the stuff, but... It's uh, 50000 and if you want to turn some other stuff on later, just like they do now. So I think they're good at that stuff. I am, as most people, I'm really interested in what equals well-stocked according to Elon. And all of this stuff about how much it's going to cost is all interesting. It's fun. But don't get anxious because we have no effing idea what a fully stocked Model 3 is going to be. And the crazy thing is the people at Tesla don't know either. It's like it won't be known until it spills out onto a website. Well, I bet you a lot of it won't be known until they re- w- determine uh, how much the Gigafactory is going to drop the price of the battery, how uh, doing it all in the Gigafactory, building the drivetrain and everything saves them money. I don't think – I'm sure they've got a lot of whiteboards full of numbers, but time will tell. Yeah, well, when they talk about getting the, the dreadnought of the Gigafactory up and running, they're going to be – you know, he talked about dropping the battery price something like 30%. Just because of the quantities that they're going to be able to build at scale. And so what that makes me kind of a little concerned about is either their profit margin on Model S and X are going to go way up or Model S and X are going to get considerably less expensive and uh, those of us at the beginning are going to be left holding the bag. Yeah, I don't see any time soon that they're going to drop the Model X and S if they're becoming more profitable. That will remain the profit center for a while. You know, talking about this, whether you reduce the, the complexity of this car, the next story from Teslarati, we love those guys. Oh, I just wanted to make this one oh, yeah. point. And that is, uh, you know, Tesla has a habit of pumping out the more expensive cars at the beginning, right? The Founders Series, which had everything on it. They had people who who bought that car, they had a $50,000 upfront deposit and they had a, you know, it was the most expensive you could get. So Tesla tends to do that. And if they do that, this was a point made, I think, in this article. If they do that, then the people who buy the Model 3 with everything on it are going to get it first. So they're going to spend extra money. But when it comes to the federal tax credit, if they're in the first chunk, they're going to get the largest federal tax credit. And if you are the one who want the absolute stripped down base model, and you're going to save, I don't know how many, 10000 20000 you might actually miss out in the entire federal tax credit if you're really at the tail end, or a half of the tax credit if you get cut off somewhere in that, you know, second after that second quarter. So buying an absolute stripped down base model may not be the best idea. Tom. But if you're talking in the in the scenario that you guys just laid out with a expensive model and a base model, then and the and the expensive model comes anywhere near the sixty six thousand dollars, which is really what it would be if you talked about all the things that you add to the S. And I don't really understand why they would change their model of adding these enhancements. The enhancements that are on this list are not things that I think are beyond the pale. It's not everything on the list it's most of the things on the list they're they're clearly charging money for all of these things now why would they you know risk alienating some s owners on any level to kind of to not charge for things like smart air suspension or not to have smart air suspension if it is going to ride low and it needs to ride low obviously for the drag coefficient to be i well, think just- so you know if you're talking about the base model at 37.5 
and you don't get the federal tax credit, that's 30, we'll just call it 37.5, and this one at 66,000, right? You're still looking at a difference of like $21,000. So that's not no money. Yeah. And it's also comparing a fully loaded three with everything with a base model S is not a fair comparison because I would rather a fully loaded car than a car that's stripped down and doesn't have anything. So, right, of course. But it's just an expensive entry level car. I mean, even, oh, yeah. again, this is even the $66,000 is a, the cost of a stripped down S. So it's still fully loaded, a much better car, but that doesn't mean it's a, an affordable no, car. No, I agree. That's and that's why thing. I think Elon has said the same thing. This brings it down to a lot more people. But ultimately, to your point, Rob, there might be a time where they say, and uh, one of these cars that's coming is going to be black and it's going to come in black and it's going to have these seats and it's going to be really cheap it's Mm -hmm. going to be the model t of autonomous driving electric cars and if you want tesla model cheap that comes in at fifteen thousand dollars here's what you're going to get well i don't think they'll put the smart air suspension or maybe even the premium sound because that just kind of cannibalizes their model s market so you know, why would I buy a Model S for $90,000 when I could get this stocked up Model 3 for $68,000? So, but isn't that true now? I don't know. I don't know much about, you know, other people's cars, but can you get a really fully loaded small Beamer with all the bells and whistles, but uh, you buy the other bigger Beamer that's much more expensive because it's just physically bigger? No, you get right. a lot more good stuff on it. But it's a prestige thing for sure to be driving around in a 700 series as opposed to a 300 series. And you can get a lot of the same technology. It's not quite as luxurious. But but again, like Tesla is not a normal car company. They don't have these like multiple package options. They have these items that they make and they add to the car. And these these are the prices of them unless, again – if they're all a bit smaller, a little bit less, like the premium sound system, okay, maybe they can make it $500 cheaper than it is now because it's a smaller car and less space to fill it. But again, it's ballpark. Obviously, all of this is speculation, but it was an interesting experiment uh, in mathematics and thought. And I think for the Talking Tesla listeners who are waiting for Model 3, they're probably pretty sophisticated. But if you think you're going to get an incredibly fully loaded car at the base price, that's not going to happen. That's never happened in the history of the world. You might get a nice car, but if you want all the bells and whistles, it will be significantly more. We don't know how much more than the base price. Oh, I want to go and talk about... Keep saving your money. Yes. Model... Uh, uh, this story X. is uh, from Tesla Ruddy about the Model X. Going to what we were talking about in terms of simplicity. So this article suggests that the my the 90D, the P90D, um, is probably going to go away because right now they have a 60, a 75, a 90, and a 100, and that doesn't make much sense. The jump between 90 and 100 is weird. So they're selling the 100 now fully optioned as a profit center we've been talking about. You pay an extraordinary extra price to get a little bit of extra range and a little bit more performance and all that stuff. So it is probable that they will get rid of the 90 and start just putting 100 and 75. So you'll have a software-limited 100 and a software-limited 75-kilowatt battery so that you can have what looks like four or five choices, but it's really two battery packs that are going in there. And I just wonder at what point, if the battery prices come down, that the cheapest thing, like you were saying, just put one in there. And then you just software-limited any way you want. You want a 66.3? Boom, done, baby. Right. That's a lot of weight you're carrying. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Maybe inefficient. But, you know, again, it's all about a trade-off. So I just had my motor replaced. Went in last week, got my uh, 
my new seat and the motor had been making all this nasty sound. And so now I'm thinking, wow, Tesla has to now go back and put in a motor that will work in my first generation Model S. How has the motor changed since then? How many parts are they going to have to stock? How complicated does this all get when you have all these variations and versions? And so I can only think that they're trying to simplify things from now all the way through to what you can perceive as the life of these cars. And this is what Apple has done, you know, when um, Steve Jobs went away, they had like 50,000 different SKUs for their laptops and their desktops. And he came back and was like, enough already that you're confusing the customers. There's actually data on this. When people have too many choices, they don't buy because there's too many choices. So again, think the simplification of your number of choices Good choices, but not too many. Simpl- help, that helps simplify the production process. So I think the very smart people there are going to do all this. Again, this is part of the if everything works well, if they do it all right, they will be very successful. And if they F it up, if they make a mistake, they won't be. I want to talk about the Model X. Can I talk about the Model X? Consumer sure. Reports just put the S back on the recommended list. Remember, they first said this is the greatest car. Nobody builds a car like this. Everybody else's car is 103%, stupid. 103 percent, 103 points, 103 points out of 100. And then, like six months later, as they got more data about how many times these cars had to go back and get repaired, they said this is the crappiest car. Nobody should buy this car. And now they're back to this is a really great car, and it doesn't uh, break as much as it used to. So they're putting it back on the recommended list. However, <laughs> the Model X is currently in that phase of, this is a really pretty car, it's got really great doors, and it breaks all the time because of those effing wing doors. And so they have put it right down the bottom of uh, reliability in terms of you take your brand new car home, what's the likelihood that stuff's going to break? The likelihood that stuff's going to break is high, and I can attest to that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, they've already replaced my doors hinges once. And now on the X yesterday, it only goes up halfway on the left side. And the window on the driver's, on the um, passenger side in the front now has a uh, whistling noise, which I know has been a problem with the X with their seals. So this car continues to have issues. Much better than it was before, but still got to go back for little quirky repairs. They cannot, we've said this 100 times, they cannot do this with Model 3. You cannot make 500,000 to a million Model 3s and have to have them go back four or five times in the first year for tweaky bits. People are not going to accept that, and it's just going to crush their repair system. I was just going to say, like, so thankfully, as we know, they haven't made 200,000, 300,000 of these cars that are having problems. The overall number is low. They seem to be able to be dealing with it. It's not going to crush the car company in the long term, right? Yeah. It's not? No, yes. I don't think so. Well, they can't. They've got to make the build quality better because if Consumer Reports or other independent groups keep saying that this new American-built car is the crappiest in terms of it's got to go back to the factory all the time for repairs. That will That's one of the ways they can screw the pooch. We've got a letter coming up a little later saying, you know, there are not these repair centers everywhere like Chevy. These repair centers can be three or four or five hours from where you go. And if you have to take it back two times a month, I'm not buying that damn car. So they've got to right. fix build quality. Yeah, well, I guess I'm lucky because I live a mile from the service center. And my service center, up up until this last visit, had this wonderful Italian espresso machine in there, and you could sit and read all kinds of EV magazines, and yeah. You know, I live five miles from a repair center, 
and it does. I'm getting a bit of uh, repair fatigue personally. I've been there a lot for various reasons. Uh, the last time I said on the show they actually came and fixed the car, which is good. So I'm going to call them again for the X, and I'm going to pray that they can do it here because I don't want to go down there again. Yes, the, oh. the granola bars are lovely, but I got other stuff to do now. When it's fully autonomous. Uh, no problem. Mm. The only reason they'll have to come to my house is if the full autonomy doesn't work because I'm sending the car without me. Go get so fixed, we'll have car. A, a bunch of limping cars with doors half up <laughs> driving around the city by themselves. <laughs> exactly. That sounds, that sounds great. That's a, that's a big billboard for Tesla. Dystopian future where all the broken cars are driving <laughs> through the streets. They'll FedEx to you this big Band-Aid you have to put on to kind of hold the door <laughs> down. It's like the angry boy in Toy Story with all the messed up toys. That's what it'll oh, be like. Yeah. All these broken toys driving back into service centers all over the place. So we do need to get a follow-up, though, um, Robert. How is the new seat and the new motor? Does oh, your car yeah. still go? No, it's silent once again. I, I never noticed any like degradation in the speed or anything like that. But it does feel a lot more comfortable to be on the freeway without that whining going on behind me thinking, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm on the freeway almost deserted and I would like to stay going. And the seat is extremely comfortable. No, no squeaking from the lumbar support? No squeaking. In fact, I'm sitting up tall now again. The seat is no longer sagging and I can feel my hair rubbing the ceiling of the car and, and it's just lovely. Um, one of the comments I was just looking on the YouTube, you know, we did this live show and it was just Robert and I and uh, Tom couldn't be there. Mm. And one of the comments was, because we were standing next to each other, uh, one of you is abnormally short or abnormally <laughs> tall. <laughs> it's a little of both. Yeah, so really. I was going to say, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, the, Sh- the Chevy Bolt, a car that I'm increasingly excited about. So this is from Car and Driver. They did a quick review. They're starting to come off the lot. So people are... Um, getting the sort of review units to play with. And they're all pretty much the same. They're all saying these kind of things. It's very peppy. Um, It's got that crossover styling, which a lot of people like. It feels really roomy. It's got a nice touch screen. Um, It's surprisingly fast. And every review I've read so far is very positive, saying Chevy built a really nice car here. Too bad they can only make 35,000 of them. Well, well, it's actually not a car built by Chevy, as you keep reminding us. This is yes. actually a Korean-made car, which right. is bolted with a few the, Chevy bits The LG on. Bolt. <laughs> the Life's Good Bolt. But the, the one thing that came out of this Car and Driver article for me, well, there's two things. But the big takeaway for me was GM's president announced the battery pack accounts for 23% of the Bolt's base price. Mm. And... They were talking and they were kind of sketched out about the fact that what is the return on investment? And it feels like at that cost that the Bolt is not going to make money and that, again, they may be losing money per unit Mm -hmm. because of the dreaded compliance vehicle selling all the other trucks. And I think in the long run, this is the problem. Right. This is at the crux of the issue. If they cannot figure out how to make these cars profitable, where they make at least one or two thousand dollars per unit, then the companies are never going to take them seriously as something they can make five or six hundred thousand of them. And and they're really not moving the ball forward. Right. Teslas are expensive and we know that they're expensive and we just talked about that, but they're not technically losing money per unit they're not making money because of all their capital investment which is a which is a different argument but in the long run their hope is to make profit per unit which it doesn't feel like any of these other cars are doing 
except the leaf, maybe at this point. So I don't know what the cost of an engine is in a car in terms of a percentage. Like, is the the engine in a gas car five percent, ten percent? Is it twenty percent? So I would wish I'd like to see that number. So they keep saying, well, it's twenty five percent of the cost. Well, maybe the most expensive part of a normal car is the engine as well. Well, if you're driving a Ferrari La Ferrari, it's probably considerably high. <laughs> it's probably, a, yeah. but again, you're right. It goes down to they must get the battery cost down. How to get the battery cost down? New technology and gigafactories and dreadnoughting, and that's. Everything that um, Elon is doing for the Tesla. Nobody else is doing that yet. If Tesla is successful, and we hope that they are, then you will see other people get gigafactories if people say, yeah, I really want an electric car. The other way this gets helped, of course, which is in uh, the movie, and as other people have said, is carbon tax. You need an effing carbon tax so that when you put gas in your car, you start to pay for some of the actual cost of that. So if gas goes back up to five bucks a gallon or six bucks a gallon, which in other countries people think is still ridiculously low, then um, the cost of the battery pack relatively becomes quite inexpensive. And so it's all about charging the right amount for the technologies. We should have electric uh, batteries, cars, because that's not polluting Whereas, or at least not as polluting as carbon, we should have an effing carbon tax so that it can be parity. But that has nothing to do with what GM will or will not make on a car. What it costs to fuel the car is not what it costs to make the car. And there's no way a regular engine in like a Toyota Camry is costing 25% of the cost of the car. It's just just not not practical. It's not possible. It absolutely will affect how many they sell, though, because if everybody says the price of gas is what? Because I have to pay this carbon tax? And the cost of this electric car is about the same, but I the fuel that you put in it is way less. You will sell trillions more, and therefore you can make a profit, even if you're making it $1,000 per car. Well, I just finished, finished filling out my ballot. So, Mel, I will vote for your carbon tax. Thank you. But I think that one of the things that GM might be doing here is just fishing. I think they might actually oh, – so they saw that the Volt with a V – was a pretty successful car. People like it, good reviews. Both environmental types like it and drive it and regular old, you know, soccer moms and people who aren't that big into environmentalism drive it. And it's a great transition car. It's made a big difference in a lot of people's lives that I know. And uh, like one nurse, I think just she bought one in the summer and I was talking with her and I didn't realize she had one. And she says, yeah, I said, well, how many times have you, you know, I thought initially I think, oh, it's got gas in it. It's bad. It's evil. And I said, how many times have you gone to the gas station since you've gotten the car in June? She said once. Yep. How bad? I mean, that's fantastic. So GM's had a success there. So I think what they're doing now is dipping their toe in the water with this car. They've got no real downside. I mean, they have spent money on developing it, but really the Koreans are making most of the guts for this thing. And so if it goes well, maybe they'll just bring a bunch of that production ability over here, build their own batteries and make a hundred or 200,000 of these things. We can hope. In fact, that story, you know, Katie, our friend uh, who works with Tom, has the same story. She got a Volt and basically gets like a 1,000 miles per gallon. That's how infrequently she plugs in because she just drives around town. Not quite that high, but pretty high. It's pretty good. Let's talk about self-driving. There's a YouTube video here about the auto auto self-driving truck. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) um, this is from the the former Google peeps who uh, started doing sort of autonomous trucks and got bought by Uber for $680 million. 
not for the tech, but for the people. Not for the trucks, but for the people. $10 million per person. <laughs> and uh, the first delivery using an autonomous auto truck just occurred. And so you should watch the video. It's pretty Woo-hoo. interesting. It's a big giant truck. And the guy gets onto the freeway and he goes, doot, doot, and the gets truck takes the over. Gets off the seatbelt. <laughs> gets out of the seat. And what did they deliver with the first autonomous truck? Tom, give it to me. Think it was a whole lot of terrible, terrible beer. No, it was a, it was a, it was a shipment of Budweiser. A pit pile? Did you say a Budweiser? Fifty thousand plus cans of very average beer. But <laughs> very exciting average. because this is part of the moving to an autonomous future. Now they in this video do not go into the detail like. How autonomous is this really? Because they basically got on the freeway and had auto steer, as far as I can tell. I didn't see this truck whipping through LA and going down to the port in the middle of the no, night by it, itself. I think it went. I think it went like 120 or 140 miles on the interstate in Colorado, and uh, and the driver took it on the freeway and off the freeway. So it did the highway part, which might be a cool deal because number one, the the drivers don't lose their job, at least in the short term, and then they get on the freeway, they go to sleep. And they've got like a what? Maybe it's like they have to drive from L.A. to Chicago. That's how. I mean, that's a long drive, right? If you did that straight, there's no way you could do it as a driver. You'd have to stop every eight hours or ten hours, get whatever ten hours of sleep. I don't know what the rules are, but it would take days to get to Chicago. Otherwise, you drive your truck onto the freeway in L.A. and you go to sleep, or you watch TV, or you're you're off. And the truck does this whole long ride. You know, maybe. It, it signals you time to fill me up and you get off the freeway with the truck after i don't know how many hours it can drive with those big tanks you fill it up you get back on the freeway you go back to sleep so how much better or how much farther can we go how much more can we get out of our trucks and our drivers and it would certainly like during the olympics my wife tells me the story and you guys probably lived here yep. during the olympics in 84 and they said to all the trucks and the truck drivers you can't drive during the day it's going to be a disaster so all the trucks would drive at night to free up the freeways for all the Olympic um, athletes and all the people who are going to see the games. And everybody says it was the greatest time in LA's history. The freeways work fantastic. So it's another thing you could do. You can't tell all the truck drivers to drive all night all the time because that would be too expensive and they'd all fall asleep. But with this technology, you could. Something pisses me off about this story, though. Yes. I went on eBay. I tried to find – I want a six-pack of that Budweiser. I want a six-pack of the Budweiser that drove in the first (laughs) autonomous truck. I want it. I'm not going to drink it. Right. No, where was, I've got the, where was the delivery made to? Do we uh, know? Colorado Springs, I think. Well, you have to go there. It's probably gone. There's been like three football games since then. They so should have labeled every can, you know, delivered yeah. by Uber. There goes the carbon footprint with that label. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Gigafactory. And this uh, article is from <laughs> and nice. it's a 360 degree picture which is absolutely beautiful and stunning and it shows the gigafactory growing fast the production of the power pack and power wall are coming off the lot they're going to build the model three and the powertrain and you've got to see this picture to just see how enormous this factory is how enormous it's going to be but what i didn't see was a railroad coming into it yet bringing all the lithium and a railway coming out the other side, taking it off to the Fremont factory to finish it off. And there is some January 4th event at the Gigafactory. Do we have any idea what that is? Crickets. Clearly, Crickets. Clearly, clearly we do not. It is fascinating. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Chevy. And like 
Elon made this gigantic investment in this gigafactory based on a hope, right? It wasn't like <laughs> he, he built a, a little people, mini – he didn't build like a little mini test factory. Let's see what we can do. Can we make these better batteries? He's like, I have this idea to build this giant dreadnought. Uh, who's got $5 billion? And and like he's just like, oh, we finished that one. We're going to add this one. Like he is not messing around uh, like the rest of these companies who are much, much more established, that both excites me and scares me. If I was an investor, I would be like, uh, hey, buddy, why don't you check and make sure – like we talked about the Powerwall, right? He he announced Powerwall 1.0, sold eight of them, and then announced Powerwall 2.0. <laughs> what the hell? Who does this? This is an impressive factory. Uh, he has suggested to completely electrify the world. And to have storage for said electrification and to do everything we need to do. How many gigafactories do you need? Cease. You need 100 gigafactories. He said 100? Yeah. And Leo said in the States, he goes, no, no, for the world, the entire world, China, Australia, America, everywhere, would need 100 gigafactories. So I'm guessing that the US would probably need 10 of them. Oh, I don't know. After listening to the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, I'd say we need 60 of them. Oh, yeah. We need 90 of them. The rest of the world needs 10. That's about right. Uh, So it's an enormous undertaking. But again, it's sort of one of those World War II level undertakings. We need to go full on. It can be done. These are not like, we need 100 million trillion of these. Now, I can get my head around the fact that maybe the US needs 20 of these and we put one in the 20 biggest states or something like that. This is possible. How long until Ford or GM or Volvo or some other like forward-thinking automobile manufacturer will get one of these gigafactories for themselves? And they will wait and follow and see if Tesla fails. And that's why there's so much hope and anxiety riding on this. Here's a guy who's a billionaire who has a grand vision for trying to help the planet. These other dudes... Um, are not they don't have that vision do the Koch brothers have a vision for saving the planet they only, have a vision for making profit only their corner of it so uh i hope he succeeds because where he succeeds people will follow they are already following so if he can make this work and this is actually why i'm it makes no sense for me to buy another model s there's absolutely no reason for it you cannot buy your way out of a uh, environmental crisis having said that i've got uh my rationalization for buying a Model S is that I want this guy to succeed. I kind of want to just go and give him $100,000 and say, please save us, Elon, please. Because I don't see too many other people who are really on this at this level. I see the Bill Gates and I see scientists and see lots of people working very hard on this. But from a really practical manufacturing point of view, how do we get off uh, coal? He's one of the few billionaires out there who's really working on this. So that's why I love the guy. Let's do some letters. You ready for letters? Ooh. So, yes. first letter is from uh, Drew Schuyler. It's Dutch Mel. You cannot F that up. Well, uh, I hope I didn't. So, first of all, <laughs> let me just talk about uh, the Dutch. Can I? Can I talk about the Dutch just a little bit? First of Please. all, how can they be so good at so many languages? You meet a lot of people, but I think the Dutch, uh, I might be wrong, maybe the most trilingual, quadrilingual, exceptional English speakers in the world. Have you ever tried to speak Dutch? No, I haven't. Yeah, I don't think anybody can <laughs> other than those people who live in Denmark. I just met a couple when I was in Chile at a conference and uh, they were speaking perfect Spanish and 
perfect English and perfect Danish, and I just hate them, frankly. Um, and then I go to talk about Lucas Graham, who is my favorite artist right now, who's also Dutch. And if you don't know Lucas Graham, you should go check him out. He's fairly fantastic. This is a really long letter. So one of the other problems with the Dutch is that they talk too much because they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry, bro. So he was trying to work out as we were, you know, what the base of a Model uh, 3 would be and did a lot of really interesting math and um, sort of extrapolated from taking a 60 and then upgrading it and seeing how much that would cost as a percent of the base. And basically it came up with some numbers to say the same thing that you guys were talking about, that a fully loaded base three all the way up to let's put everything in it is going to be a pretty expensive car if you use the same kind of math that you do on an, an S and an X. He also points out that the uh, P100DL with a 100 kilowatt battery is truly ludicrous when you look at the price. Yeah, if you look at how much you're paying for the incremental upgrades to go really quick with a little bit bigger battery, um, it's pretty extraordinary. I, I but actually, thank you for buying them. Yeah, I priced a divorce as well as a model <laughs> P100DL and versus a 90D, and uh, I can tell you it's a big difference. Bill Olson's uh, got a great letter here because he says, uh, Mel... Uh, may not be able to pronounce anything, but he can say San Luis Obispo very well. Thank you very much. He's, I thought everybody just called it slow. Yeah, everybody is. So he was basically saying that um, he's got a Model S and he's going up to look after his dad. He's got a broken hip, but he's had a number of times where he's got to the Gilroy supercharger and was only getting eight kilowatts out of that thing. And I'm like, That's there's something sad. seriously wrong. But my brother did the same thing. So my brother was in town visiting. I gave him my S, said, you know, drive it up the coast, it's all good. And he got to a supercharger just north of um, Santa Barbara and plugged in. And he was doing the math and he's like, calls me, he's like, what's wrong with this? When I'm at home, I get, you know, 60, 80, 100 kilowatts. And here I'm getting 10. It's going to take me forever. And I'm like, how many cars are plugged in? He's like, all of them. I said, wait, five minutes, ten minutes. When they leave, you watch what happens. And sure enough, boom. So I bet you that uh, for Bill, that was the scenario where everybody's on it and the pipe just is not big enough, which is a bit of a problem for the supercharger network. Is it not? I think that some of the supercharger locations have, how can I say, a love-hate relationship or just a hate-hate relationship with the local utilities because they don't all like the fact that we're going to plug in our cars and suck as much energy as like a, you know, a super Walmart from one small area. And they end up having to do some substantial like uh, upgrade work. So like I remember when the Culver City Supercharger was opening, since I live nearby there, I was watching it like, I don't know, every three days I stopped by just to chat with the contractor and stuff. And they had to use this device not to trench like a quarter of a mile away, but they actually like, it was like a, almost like a robot drilling device that went horizontal under the pavement, like pretty deep to get uh, power from this one transformer all the way over to the superchargers. And that was like a huge expense. And, and Tesla seemed to be going back and forth with the utility about getting this done. And that was a big issue. And so, you know, I think, again, this is a lot of people who are not used to the paradigm shift of we are actually going to drive electric cars all the time and cover a long distance. I've seen more and more power packs at supercharger stations, and I yeah. wonder if they've put them in there for some buffering mm -hmm. so they can continue to get the amount of 
a zippy charge that they need, instead of trying to pull it from the grid and maybe dropping the voltage for all the houses that are nearby, right. they're sucking it from the power pack at a more reasonable rate. So uh, it is an issue, supercharged network. We're going to get back and talk some more about the supercharger network in a little while, but let's... Because it's perfect. Because it's got issues. Christopher, please, somebody somebody help me here. DeSormo Malm. That guy uh, said, uh, Tom, uh, we talked about sort of going to Mars and having to live underneath the surface of Mars, but you couldn't do that because you need light to make your plants grow because if you don't have plants, you can eat potatoes for a while and then you get really skinny. And he said you can grow plants underground. You just have to have the right LED lights tweaked to the right photons. It was Robert who said we couldn't live underground on Mars, not oh, me. This was this was from last Sunday's Twitter. I'm sorry, uh, Reddit that uh, the <laughs> AMA Reddit that Elon did, and I, I've cut and paid. I can I can put this in the show notes even. But he went into intense detail about the layout of what a Mars colony would look like, and he was very specific in saying that you need sunlight to grow plants, and that's primarily because if you tried to collect sunlight with solar panels on Mars, which is a long ways away from the sun compared to the Earth, the amount of solar panels you would need to then charge up a battery or directly light up LEDs underground, it's just not worth it. You just put the plants under glass, they'll suck up the energy from the sun, you won't have the loss, and you'll put things like manufacturing, production, you know, uh, building out, whatever you need to build, you put that stuff underground, you can pressurize it. Uh, It's a lot easier and a lot cheaper to make it, and especially if you use robots to do the excavating. And Christopher sent us a link to um, these sort of urban farms where you can grow a lot of food with a lot less water and a lot less energy than we currently do. And he's suggesting that maybe this is the type of farming you could do there. Maybe it's under a glass dome. Maybe you have it's underground and you have a lot of skylights. Yeah, well, so it's, you know, basically what we do here in California to grow marijuana. It's good times. Hey, yeah. he's been listening from the beginning as well, and we like to thank him. And he's uh, he's a Patreon subscriber, so thank you. We love our Patreon subscribers. As he said, there's not enough Patreon subscribers so far to get Tommy's Model 3, but it should be enough to get you a cup of coffee. And we Cheers. do thank you. Cheers to you, Christopher. Cheers to you. Uh, the next letter is from uh, Amelius. Oh, that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that one. On your Twitter poll regarding uh, Autopilot 2.0, being a not a big being a big deal or not, he goes to say that waiting for a Model Three is really smart. I think he's suggesting that people who are waiting for a Model Three and not buying an S right now are the smartest people, and I would have to agree. He says because what's going on here is that your Model X and your Model S owners are going to get the new autonomy, and they're going to drive around and they're going to teach the system. And by the time you get your Model Three in two years, you'll have a Model Three which has all the hardware for full autonomy, and will have learned from all the smart rich people crashing all over the place. And so you're smarter to just wait for Model 3. Then the autonomy will be in there. It'll all be good. It'll all have already learnt. And thank you very much to those rich Model S and X owners, but you are basically guinea pigs. Well, unless you feel the urge to be altruistic and contribute to the creation of this autonomous driving network. How to say it? It's much easier to be altruistic when I really want the car anyway. So I'm using it as a rationalization. (laughs) Uh, And I like to be an early adopter. That's the fact about a lot of people who are on X's and S's in addition to everything else. There's a certain subset of the population. I just watched a TED talk on this. About 10% of the population are uh, technologists, early adopters. They like toys. They like these new things, and they will buy them. And then 
it sort of tails off from there. There are people at the other end, about 10 or 15%, that never that still want a dial phone or even think phones are kind of stupid. And then there's everybody else in the middle. So generally, S and X owners right now, you're in the top 10% of geekiness. Or they yeah. want the phones, the old-style flip phones. Exactly. Chad Oliveri said, talking Tesla crew, um, what did he say here? Oh, what he's noticed is that Back, you know, six months ago, it appeared that there was a new supercharger being deployed every five minutes. And in the last few months, not so much. And I had exactly the same feeling that during the summer, it was like every day, every week, there's a new supercharger, there's a new supercharger, there's a new supercharger. I haven't had one email. Maybe they dropped me off the email list because of the effing fucking wing doors. But I haven't seen one new supercharger open forever. What's going on? Well, actually, I'm, I'm getting excited because I'm going to head up to San Francisco tomorrow. I've got a meeting up there. I've got to uh, have some fun, a little party. And then I noticed that on the way up to San Francisco, there are three new superchargers along the I-5. Three? Three. Did I say that again? Where are three. they? Yeah. So when you get above Tejon Ranch, there's there there's a uh, button willow supercharger, right? I think I talked about that one a few months ago. Very I've nice. Been there. But it's just okay. before it, literally like a couple of miles away, Along the I-5, like a couple stops before, is one on Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield. That's going to be my first stop. Then, Why do they have two so close together? I've never seen two so close together. Well, this is trying to, you know, unbundle the whole thing. Keep us from bunching up at one. And if the cars, you know, when you're on on your Model S, you can look at the condition of the superchargers. And if one looks full, you just go another three miles and boom. You go to that one. Then there's a supercharger in Santanella at Pea Soup Anderson. I used to love going to Pea Soup Anderson as a kid. What's Pea Soup Anderson? Mr. Anderson? No, not, Give Mr., us your pea not soup. Mr. Smith and Mr. Anderson. Pea Soup Anderson is, uh, you know, happy and peewee. These are like, it's like uh, Mutt and Jeff. Anyway, no they, sell, they sell pea soup. What is he and saying? It's great. It's a Dutch it was a Dutch restaurant. They have oh. a windmill outside. Okay. And they, and they serve pea soup. pea soup all you can eat, although now I think they've taken that away. It's excellent pea soup. But then again, if you have cast gastric distress after eating pea soup and you're locked up in a car with a family of people who've all eaten pea soup, it, it there were some bad memories. So uh, the question but, I have, therefore, is these are new to me. This is news to me. This is just in California up this road. Have they just stopped emailing us every five minutes? Yes. Oh, good. Thank you. And so don't I'm going stop. To stop. I want to know about everyone. Even yeah. if it's on the East Coast, if it's in China, I want to know where those are. I'm going to go to the Pea Soup Anderson one. It, it might be open, but I'm, I've been following it on the TMC website. And as of about, uh, I guess, four days ago, people said there was still plastic on the chargers. I'm going to take some pictures. I'm going to post it. The next letter is from um, Kean Dowd, who is from Ireland. I wish I could do an Irish accent. I should be able to because my mum's Irish, but I can't. I can only be <laughs> Scottish. Uh, and he says, he gives some links to these heat pumps, which I've become very interested in. You know, this is a way of under the ground, seven feet under the ground. You get about a constant temperature, so it's a little cooler than your house in the summer, and it's a little warmer than your house in the winter and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I'm really interested in these to see because I'm probably going to build another structure in my house here, and I'd like to do it zero emissions, and we'll go through that if that happens and we create it. But I would like to... Ask somebody, is like, if we dig down seven feet and put one of these things in, is it cost effective? If you don't heat your pool, can you use your pool as a heat sink for the hot weather? 
That is an interesting question. Maybe we got something going here. Very interesting. I do heat my pool in the summer, but I do it with solar energy, which is kind of cool. And then he also says, you know, when you're talking about autonomy, um, there's really um, there's no question that if it's a choice between you crashing your car into a pole versus you crashing into the pedestrians, the car should crash into the pole because these cars are really well built. They're incredibly safe compared to how they were even 10 or 15 years ago. Whereas humans haven't evolved that much in the last 10 or 15 years. You get hit by a car, even at low speed, you break badly. And that is absolutely true from an ER doc perspective, and Rob can back me up on this, a pedestrian hit at low speed breaks badly. That's a rud. A rud? Yeah. That's the Auto uh, ped is rapid, rapid <laughs> unplanned disassembly. So I would rather hit a pole at uh, 40 miles an hour in a car than a person at 10 miles an hour. Thank you very much because they'll explode. Um, guys, 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 guys. I just realized something. This is from Diego who uh, emails us a lot. I just realized something. I'm going to be able to sit in my Model 3, drink uh, while listening to Talking Tesla and play Talking Tesla but you can go so much sooner than I ever expected. Nirvana. This is what we all want. We all want. And he is now doing a Patreon. Thank you very much. Mike, please, somebody else pronounce his name. Copstein said, hey, Mel, just FYI, if you're going to lease your S, just take a second because a number of people worked out that if you leased a car, and here in the US, sort of the base number of miles you get per year is, say, 10,000 miles, and then you can lease it 12,500 miles or 15,000 miles. He said, if you actually did the math, Leasing uh, a Model S at 10,000 miles and just paying for overages was less than paying up front. And so I've never even thought of that. I've always just assumed, of course, if I buy the 15,000 miles, that will be the same or less than buying 10 and then paying overages. And he's like, no, no, no. Take a look at that. So I, I've got to do that. My goodness, because I'm about to lease this thing. Yes, Tom. That's about to change because now Tesla is aware that we've done the math on it and Dad. they're going to fix that. Why did we bring it up? Oh. <laughs> Leon Brody says he loves the show, show and that's all you need to know. Um, and then he wanted to talk about... <laughs> he wanted to talk about getting me a leaf. I looked on this website. There are a lot of leaves. It's in Minnesota. Uh, You're pretty close to Minnesota, there, there, aren't you? There? There, are leafs, there are leafs that fit my bill in Anaheim and I'm still not going to get them. So maybe <laughs> it's just me and not the leaf. Well, there's another letter here from Gabor, is it? Gabor Leidenfrost. Leidenfrost, who says uh, more stuff about the Leafs, saying, here's the concern. The first Leafs had huge amounts of battery degradation. We've talked about it multiple times here on the show. Perhaps it has to do with the cooling. He's not sure that they've really fixed that. I thought that the battery degradation on the Leaf had gotten better, but he's like, Tom, do you really want to buy a car where the battery might just not work very well in a few years? And if you buy a secondhand one that might have five miles of range instead of 70? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean... No, I don't. I don't want to do. I don't. I don't want to have battery degradation. Although I feel as we move farther down the line with the Leaf and it's it's a very well supported car, the batteries are not super super expensive to replace because again they're not very big. They're not cheap, but they're not super expensive. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, again, I haven't made a decision. All of these things are causing me all kinds of problems. Uh, theoretically, I'd only have the Leaf for a couple of years until my super expensive Model 3 comes out. <laughs> but now I, can't even, <laughs> now I can't even afford that. <laughs> so I don't know. I may just uh, take the bus, whatever. Or you can get an electric bicycle. 
So our next letter is from uh, John Zhang, who uh, basically is an early adopter. He got a Model 3 in 2013 and is upgrading to a new Model S. And he says here, and I'm going to wait and try and get the 2017 registration because he believes psychologically, even though that's not how Tesla thinks, the resale value on a 2017 registration S is going to be better than on a 2016, which is probably true. So I'm hoping when I get my Model S, it comes on January 1st. I mean, yeah, January 1st, 2017. But what about your auto insurance? Is it going to make your auto insurance more expensive? Mm, I don't know. Hmm. Good point. Zachary Schneider um, says... The pricing on the uh, Tesla network. So I'm going to read this. It says, It cites a study that claims that the cost of an $8,000 add-on for full autonomy when added to the $35,000 base price stays in line with projections from a recent study that sought to determine a possible per-mile rate for Tesla network of $0.60 per mile. That's what people would pay you to to rent your Tesla like an Uber? Uh, I guess I should go to the article and read it because I didn't. It's from... Tom said yes. My add-on to this and question to you guys is, do you think Tesla will require payment for full autonomy to allow your car to operate on the Tesla network? No. Um, since you're already incurring the cost to put the hardware in the cars, in the short run at least, wouldn't it be in Tesla's best interest to avoid restricting who can put their car on the network by requiring people to pay for a fully autonomous car to shove it on the network? So as best I understand it, he's saying the only cars that would be able to drive on the network would be fully autonomous cars? Sure. Well, That, that would, would make sense. sense yeah. Like, they don't want to pay for the cost of the driver or anything like that. And right, but, then but they so control think, if the car can crash or not. Yeah, like, so his point is, can I sit in the car and still make the same 60 cents a mile? There wouldn't be any additional benefit for me sitting in the car and driving it, except for I'm sitting in my own car and driving it. So if it made sense to you to not, you didn't want people in your car without you, could you do that? He's saying no, Tesla, or he's asking, do you think Tesla is going to make that an impossibility? Will the Tesla network not allow drivers a liability safety issues? Who knows what their you know what their thought process is? I don't really know the answer to that question, but that's really uh, so. He basically question. wants to go in the car, let the Zach's car drive question. itself, and have the vomit bag ready for when the person's about to puke into his car. I don't or, know. Or they I, kick I, them out. Again, Get it's just really account. a question of how – it's really a question of like if you don't buy the full autonomy up front for your Model 3 and you are thinking about putting it on the network, you cannot. So there's sort of a – there's an additional – I mean you could look at it this way. There's an $8,000 upfront fee to put your car on the Tesla network. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I didn't even think about that. I guess I just assumed that right. full autonomy will come very quickly and all these cars will be basically driving themselves. But maybe there is a, a few years maybe before that's actually going to happen. Maybe there'll be a feature option on the app. So if you're sort of feeling lonely today, you could request a Tesla, quote, self-driving or whatever, delivery service car with a driver, someone you'd like to chat with, someone who you might Play bingo with in the front seat. I don't know. I want to get a Model 3 and I want Tom to drive it for me because we can have a chat. And we'll have to pay super rate because he's so rare. James Boos says, uh, when do you think the best time is to buy a Model S? Because they keep changing it all the time. And now they've put in the new hardware. Um, is now the right time or are they going to put a new nose cone on? I think and the reason I'm going to lease another one as I've said before, is I can basically flip the car I have and get the new one at the same amount that I'm basically paying right now. And the reason I've jumped now is because I think there's not going to be a substantial change in the S for a while. They're going to have all of these radars and all of this stuff in it. And yes, they'll do tweaking. There'll always be model upgrades. But I don't expect a big change in the S for a couple of years. I might be wrong. 
And if there is a big change that comes in the next few years, my guess, you ready? I think it could be LiDAR. Because I keep seeing pictures of Teslas driving around with hockey puck LiDAR. So I think they're hedging their bets. So there's never a good time to buy in technology that changes all the time. But I think this is a reasonable time because they've put so much new stuff in. It's probably okay for a few years. I'd say to James, just ask, you know, four or five Tesla drivers who have various Teslas, do you love your car? And I bet you they're all going to say yes. So I just say buy it. I'm very happy with mine. It's prehistoric and it's still a fantastic car. Mine's also prehistoric with no autopilot 1.0 everything, and it's, it is a still a joy to drive, but it'd be much more of a drive, a joy if I didn't have to drive it, <laughs> but it still took me places. <laughs> Jason Holman says uh, annual services, the guy from Tyler, Texas, who in summary brings up the issue, I live a long way from a service center. I can't be having my car break down all the time. Uh, will they charge it at the service center? That was sort of a side question. I'm sure that if you ask them to charge it up for you, they will. Yeah. But he brings up the fact that i got to keep my SUV for my family of five because I can't be going back to the service center every five minutes and I need to know that these cars are not going to break down. We have discussed that. I agree. It's a big issue. David Sell says he was at the Costco in Oxnard this morning and he walked by the Sunrun booth. So there's these poor, unfortunate people who stand around trying to sell you solar panels at Costco, which just doesn't seem to be the best place to buy stuff. If you were thinking about solar panels, you probably would have done some homework before then. But anyway, as you're leaving Costco, they always say, do you want to buy solar panels? And he heard the rep say, um, you know, those Solar City guys, that new roof that they came out with, that's not going to be available until at least 2019, which is not what Elon said. He said that's going to be available in 2017, in January, although he didn't explicitly say when it was going to come out. But uh, I don't think it's 2019. I think there may be a slight bias in that uh, solar dude selling that stuff, saying, ah, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'd say if we don't know about it, then there's a chance that it's really not truth. But what I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, I'm thinking about where is that solar city factory? It's in Buffalo, New York, right? And what do they make nearby in Corning, New York? Buffaloes? A lot of glass, right? Corning. Oh, that's different. Corning. Yeah. Oh, so I wonder if there's sense. some kind of a hookup going on there. Some kind of a hookup because they've got technology and uh, knowledge and people who've been making glassware in northern, or I should say, upper New York State for many, many decades. And maybe that was something all along that we didn't kind of pick up on. The last letter here, actually, uh, there's two. Devin M., there's a letter here that got slipped in and I didn't have time to read it. It is enormously long, but the most important thing is that Devin is giving us some money on Patreon and he's Canadian. We thank you for both of those things. And then I dropped in here, um, somebody said on Twitter, Mel... What about selling your S to Talking Tesla Nation? What are the exact specs? Probably somebody will buy it for you for more than Tesla. And so I think that is correct. You can get better returns on your car by selling it on the open market a little bit more than selling it to Tesla. And I think Tom can attest to that. That's what he was telling us. But I got to tell you, I feel better about selling it back to Tesla because I'd like them to refurb it and fix it. And I'd feel really bad, even if it was to somebody I didn't know, that I sold a Tesla to. And it broke down and it was kind of crappy. I think it's good to go through the Tesla network, get it refurbed, have everything checked and then sold because I'd feel just guilty if I sold them a piece of crap and then they hated me for the rest of my life. Well, I guess the other way of me saying this, I think it's smartest for people. I think it's better 
that you get it from Tesla directly because then it comes with a warranty. But wasn't Tesla going to end their CPO program, their certified pre-owned program, like six months ago? I thought I remember us talking about that. I haven't heard nothing about it, mate. Yeah. They're selling a lot of them. Yeah, A lot. They're and they're going to sell a lot, a lot more. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Tom wasn't here, but he's in Chicago. Nope. He'll be back next week, we believe. Are you going to be back? It's hard to know. Hard to know. It's, you know, like I'm, a, I'm an enigma. I like to travel the, the, the Midwest uh, making shows. You got to be back here because I might still be up in San Francisco. Oh, oh my God. No, I might have there. to do the whole thing myself. I might have to I'll do it there. from like the Tesla factory. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, his name is Robert. That guy over there, the name is Tom. My name's Mel. Uh, we're going to throw in here a little bit of a Going Zero episode for you. And even if you want, Woo-hoo. I could chuck in the audio from uh, the Solar City reveal, but maybe you should just go onto the uh, YouTube, Talking Tesla YouTube, and check it out. Because, yeah. you know, I bought a new camera and we look beautiful. One looks like a hobbit and one looks like an elf. And we're drinking sake with a lot of Japanese treats. It was good. Good mm-hmm. times. Talking Tesla is a production of Fulibu Incorporated. Produced by Mel Herbert and Cece Herbert. Hosted by Mel Herbert, Tom Wolfson, and Robert Rosenblum. To support Talking Tesla, go to patreon.com forward slash Talking Tesla. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Talking Tesla. And finally, if you love the show, write us a review on iTunes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for Going Zero Episode 3. If you remember, Going Zero is about a small little company, mine, which is going to try and become carbon zero. Absolutely zero, top to bottom, everybody, the whole thing, yes, trying to do that. And we're going to go through it systematically. Now, a couple of things have happened. First of all, we talked to Jess and Dave. Jess and Dave live a couple hundred miles away, and they were thinking about getting a Tesla. So we got them up to speed about what Teslas are. This entire episode is about them deciding to pull the trigger. Let's hear from them. We've been thinking about buying a Tesla for, oh, we've been talking about it for a couple weeks. And we have a plan of saving up and then maybe we're not sure if we were going to get a pre-owned one or a new one. Not sure. And then kind of running the numbers financially to see what we can afford. I think our big concern was whether or not we can afford a Tesla and a house because we want to save up for a house. And... You crunched all the numbers, Dave, and basically you found that it won't totally screw up our savings if we get a Tesla. Well, not just the savings, but our income to debt ratio is what I'm worried about for a loan, for getting a loan from a bank. And the cost of a Tesla, it won't ruin our income to debt ratio, so we will still be able to afford, or we'll still probably be pre-approved for a, a mortgage. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of debt right now, um, so... Yeah, I was just worried about, you know, the new versus the pre-owned. Um, it's always better to have a lower payment. But the thing that really kind of worried me was the warranty, especially after hearing the last episode of Talking Tesla. Where Mel's window fell off. Yeah, where the window came <laughs> off and then then Robert had the charging door, like, not be able to close because there was some sort of faulty sticker like, like double, double stick st- tape yeah it wasn't working or something and and it just sounded like a lot of things were happening with the later models that um if you didn't have the warranty to cover that it sounded like that we would be stuck with those bills with a used car so those were all concerns but we we're leaning towards pre-owned just because it seems so much more affordable and went on the website and then, well, so we wanted a pre-owned that had like two things. There were two things that we really, really wanted, which are air suspension, 
because it helps helps you get in and out of the car with your hips. Yeah, and even though Tom was saying that it's it's not that much of a lift, uh, I tried it when I was at the dealership. The height is equivalent to the lowest height in the X. So it may not seem like a lot to someone who just doesn't want to scratch their driveway or their car on their driveway, but to someone with hip problems, it's It's just enough. It's, it's enough, It's yeah. enough. So we wanted air suspension. The other thing we really wanted was we wanted it to be enabled for autopilot. Otherwise, we feel like technologically we're going to be so far behind. So they do their homework. They look around. They call Tesla. They get a call back. They finally find the Tesla that they need. A secondhand pre-owned, certified. It's got air suspension. It's got autopilot 1.0. Everything is good. Then this happens. So we put down our $1,000. And then <laughs> right after we did that, we're like, well... Let's look at what it would cost to get a new one, just with the same specs. How? What is the price difference in a brand new one? And so we went back on the website, punched in all the things we wanted, and we got a match with a car that's 80, new new inventory. Yeah, for eighty thousand. For eighty thousand. With all the things we wanted. But then that price starts to drop when you do the. What's it called? The federal tax credit. The tax credit. If California still has a credit, the incentive Mel is going to provide, and then the money we've saved up would bring it back down. Um, still more than the pre-owned, yeah. but it brings it down significantly. Right. And then when we crunch out the numbers of how much we'd pay each month to finance it, because we're buying, we're not interested in leasing, we want to drive it a ton. The bottom line was it was going to be $100 more per month. And that was it for a brand new one. Yeah. And it had the warranty. And it's a 2016. So I imagine any window problems or double stick tape problems <laughs> have been fixed. fixed two years later. So that makes me... I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know something will happen. Something always happens. And that's why it's good to have a warranty. But at least those things are less likely to happen with a 2016. No matter what you get, you're going to feel left behind as soon as the next tech comes out. And so what? You got to be okay with it. There's nothing you can, there's nothing we can do about it. And I don't know. The other thing for me was I don't know what technology is hiding in this brand new 2016 Tesla that will then be turned on by a software upgrade. And I'll never have that capability if we stuck with the 2014 pre-owned. So... But Dave's more worried about the double stick tape. So now we switched our reservation and we're getting a beautiful brand new 2016 black Model S with tan interior. And I think it's got, does this one have the uh, all glass? Yeah, it does. All glass panoramic roof. It's going to be beautiful. So everything's great, right? They've got their new car. They're excited. It's only going to be 100 bucks more than a pre-owned. They're going to have all the bells and whistles that they want. And then, of course, what happens just a day or two or three later, Elon comes out and says, oh yeah, the uh, car's coming off the lot right now. They're going to have autopilot 2.0. They're going to have eight cameras. They're going to have the ability to do full autonomy. And Jess said, are you effing kidding me? Not happy. I'm not happy. I'm going to call right now. But um, I gave like a three-day change your order in three days policy. And it's been like four days or five. It's way before I can. I've completely lost track of time. I'm going to call Tesla right now. Uh, I'm going to be very sad. Um, very sad. That's right. After having gone through the process of 
deciding to get an electric car, deciding to get a Tesla, deciding to get a second-hand Tesla, then deciding it's not that much more to get a new one. Then they come out with Autopilot 2.0 and they have to cancel their order because they just did it, but it's three or four days after they're allowed to really cancel their order. What happens, ladies and gentlemen? All right, I just cut off the phone with Tesla and I said, switch the deposit, we're going to build a new one. So, And they said that, she said that should be fine and someone's going to call me back shortly and help me with the build process. So... Damn, damn, damn. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That's Jess giving the tridamula. But it turned out okay. They were able to convert it to not just a new Tesla, but a new tester with full autopilot and self-driving capabilities. All right, we got a 90D all-wheel drive. It's a beautiful midnight silver metallic paint with an all-glass panoramic roof. We got the regular 19-inch wheels. The interior is tan. Um, We got the glossy Obichi wood decor, integrated center console, white Alcantara headliner. It is, of course, uh, supercharger enabled, high amperage charger, which was not a feature of the last one that we had bought. So now we'll charge faster. We're real happy about that. Um, Of course, enhanced autopilot and full self-driving capability because that was the point. And we did do the premium up- upgrade package and the smart air suspension. So, so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, got got more bells and whistles than the uh, than the last one. But um, it works out. Like we just crunched all the numbers, and we're gonna you know have a little bit more time to save some more money. So um, we'll put more towards it. But again, it works out to be one hundred dollars more than what we were gonna pay with the other new one. So it's only. $200 more per month compared with the the pre-owned one we were going to get and that's insane to not like upgrade to this if you can if it's just $200 more a month that's nothing so we're super super excited super excited I wonder when it's going to be ready it is super exciting it is very cool they're going to be able to drive now all the way from Fresno to Simi Valley where family lives um and not charge at all if you go into EV trip planner it says that if you've got the 90D and you've got the 19-inch wheels and you've charged it all the way up and you go a little bit faster than the speed limit and you've got 200 pounds of uh, crap in your car, that you should be able to get all of that way, which is 218 miles in 2 hours and 57 minutes. Use 80 kilowatt hours of uh, charge. And so that means they'll have about 15% charge left over. Jess is excited. Dave's excited. I'm excited. Elon's excited. You're excited. It's going zero. We'll talk to you soon.